So Evan, let me start out by saying that I apologize. I'm coming on to this recording a little bit tired. Uh, last night, I was up kind of late. I, um, I have a bad habit of eating in bed. I was having a little bit of mutton in bed last night. Mutton. And uh, I like, got a like little bit of it caught. The meat of a sheep. Yeah, the meat of a sheep. A young sheep, even, as a matter of fact, because it's more tender. And I'm wearing, like, my pajama. You know what I wear to bed, right? I wear that uh, giant tank, that giant beater. Like, it's way too big for me and goes all the way down partway to my knees. Yes. Sure. So, I I guess I'm just a little bit tired today because of the bed lamb and the big top <laughs> that I had last night. <laughs> now, my, my question is... By the way, this is Scooby Dudes. We're covering Bedlam and the Big Top. My question is, was the pun that you were thinking of better or worse than mine? Mine was way worse. Yours is so much better. <laughs> really? Nice. Thank you, man. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't see that coming. I was like, genuinely curious. I can't believe it as well. I'm, I'm shocked. <laughs> you saw Bedlam at least, right? No. No. Oh, wow. Because you, you said mutton, and that, like, really threw me off. That's, I was hoping, because you, you can't say any part of the pun first. You have to use synonyms <laughs> to get there. Let's, uh, let's pat me on the back a little longer. The bed, the bed lamb in your big top. In the big top, yeah. I think, I think what really tickled me is you calling your nightgown or whatever a big top. A big top. I, I want to say tank top, like I wear a giant tank top as if I'm dating an NBA basketball player or something like that. Oh my gosh. Um, uh, let's, really quick, who are we? Yeah, uh, as you said extremely briefly, we are the Scooby Dudes. This is a podcast. Yeah, we're two best friends and we're here to talk to you folks about our favorite meddling kids. And their dumb dog too. Uh, and as you introduced in such incredible fashion we are doing an episode called bedlam in the big top yeah oh by the way my name's luke that's evan there if you're first time listeners and uh, yeah like like you said i mean we're doing bedlam in the big top this is season one episode 10 of scooby-doo where are you the original series we're gonna break it down for you here in just a sec that's what this whole episode is gonna be about and 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 that's it i <laughs> i'm sorry i really i robbed you of anything else you could say as a follow-up i really stole everything i was speechless i even said your I, name for you i feel like it's so rare that you get like a real genuine laugh out of me like that are you saying all all the laughs that you guys are about to hear over the coming hour are fake as heck? Evan, Evan well, doesn't what, laugh. What I'm me. thinking is, very often, I'll say something incredibly mean about you, and you'll laugh. <laughs> There's also plenty of that in this episode, I think, yeah. But it, it does feel rare that I get such a, a genuine, unvarnished, complete compliment. Thank you. Bedlam in the big top. Bedlam in the big top. Bedlam in the big top. <laughs> All right, let's let's go. Two dudes talking about Scooby-Doo. Two dudes just like you. Unless you're a lady, mm, this show is for ladies too. If you're LGBTQ, we are your Scooby-Doos. What episode are we doing today? It's not the backstage rage that came before. It's not a gaggle of galloping ghosts. That's the next episode. Today we're wedged neatly in between there for something very special. Yeah, that something special is a little episode we like to call Bedlam, Bedlam in, in the, the Big, big top. top. 
It's also what the creators of the show like to call it. And, you know, people who have read the wiki, people who have seen the episode, really everyone calls it Bedlam in the Big Top. Every, every, if you're not calling it Bedlam in the Big Top, you probably aren't calling it anything. Just don't call it late for supper. Oh, goodness. <laughs> With the strongest opening we've ever had behind us, let's go <laughs> ahead and give these guys the premise of the episode. Uh, do you have it up? I do. Um... This episode of Scooby-Doo, Where Are You?, the original series, is Season 1, Episode 10, and in it, the gang stumble upon a circus that is supposedly haunted by a ghost clown who starts to hypnotize some of the gang with a gold coin. I, f- I feel like the premise, I mean, I mean, it really gives away the meat of the, uh, the meat of the episode. It doesn't so much hint at the action as it spells it out. It does. From the outset, it is not made readily apparent that this ghost clown is a hypnotist from the first i mean the first time we see the ghost clown he hypnotizes somebody we see his shadow for i mean we we see him a little bit in the shadows first i guess we see him in that classic scooby-doo way looking on at his the the turmoil he's instigated and laughing but the first time he interacts with a character he is hypnotizing them with a gold coin but but like but from the beginning like you were saying he's he's up on a bluff or something he's in the woods because, you know, Scooby-Doo episodes have to start in, like, heavily wooded areas. Yeah, the gang always, wherever they're going, they're, ta- they're taking the woods to get there. It's not clear whether it's the road m- well, most traveled or the road less traveled. <laughs> it's the road that has the most trees uh, on either side of it. And, and that has made all the difference for the gang. Um, well, let's get to the... How, how do we get to the circus? Uh, is the gang even on their way there, or are they just stumbling across there? They are just driving, and we do see the ghost clown, um, who, as as we mentioned, he's peering down th- from from a little bit of an out, uh, from from he has the high ground. Yes. Can I say it that way? Yeah, he has the high ground. He's looking down on the gang who's driving through lava towards the end of their careers. Nah, people had careers after that movie. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry, what? Remarkably, people had careers after that movie. Oh, I mean. Ewan McGregor hasn't been any in anything recently. Nothing big. Hayden Christensen got some work. Natalie Portman is like an Academy Award winning actress, I believe. You can't keep her down. Also, she died in that movie, which in a way saved her. I think that's the thing. How ironic. Like she could save others, yeah. but not herself. <laughs> also, I've got Ewan McGregor's like, he's doing the indie movie circuit right now to build back his cred after that one. One misstep. He's like, I gotta do train spotting too now to get back into people's good graces. Oh man, it's bananas. I train spotting, and mind you, I have not seen the movie, so I don't know what I'm talking about. But it doesn't seem like the kind of movie that you would do a sequel with with the original cast. Yeah, especially because all the original cast successfully spots all the trains in the first movie. So it's like, what else is left? Granted, there are twenty years worth of new trains they can spot, and they do. I had there's a journey to that. Complete wrong idea about that movie, because. I was under the impression that it was a movie about drug use and that uh, that these drugs led this group of young men to uh, to painting spots on trains. <laughs> yes, when in reality the drugs made them think they were painting spots on the trains, but in reality they were just pointing at the trains and recognizing them and also exploring things about the futility of youth and life in general. I also I... have not seen the movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm like, I'm like silent over here, yeah. like, oh man, Luke's actually seen it. I'm not gonna let him. I'm gonna let him take this one. I'm like, oh dang, Evan's already having not seen the movie. Said everything I know about the movie. <laughs> uh, um. The gang is not train spotting. They're driving through the woods and they come upon a pair of people on a tandem bicycle. Yeah, I, I, I also right before we get to that, I do want to describe. Oh, yeah. the, the clown, who is oh, yeah, we're... only referred to in this entire thing as the ghost clown. Um, and his color scheme is mostly uh, reds and sort of like reddish-oranges. Um, in, in place of like the white grease paint, it's more of a gray-blue grease paint. Yeah, it's kind of an odd color. And, and like you said, it's red and black. It's as if it was just one big red clown suit, but with a V of black going straight down towards the groin like a Borat swimsuit. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's a stark um, black color right there. The The clown does have uh, red, I guess, lipstick, uh, a round nose, mm -hmm. heavily. You know what? Um, what was I going to say? At one point, and I guess, I think I was young enough that this wasn't like creepy or gross of me to say. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was like, like the girls who are, I, what I mean to say is the girls who are doing this were my age, but at one point winged, winged eyeliner was like really hot. Sorry, I mean, I mean really popular, <laughs> but. Was that a big thing in our school? I don't remember it at all. N not at our school, it was, it was later. And hmm. just, winged eyeliner was like a big thing. And this guy's, this guy's like makeup game is on point. So you're saying this clown looked really hot. I mean, popular. To you. I mean that he has winged eyeliner. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty scary clown. I mean, it just came out, the movie, not too long ago. So that was what I immediately thought of. Kind of the odd face shape of the clown made it look somewhat similar in a very creepy way. It, it, it has a little... Uh, you can see sort of like the curve. It has like a high hairline. Yeah, it's a high hairline. Which I'm sure you can really... And like the like two full cheeks... Or something like that, and you're sure? I'm sorry. Hang on, really quick. You're sure I could what? No, it's fine, Luke. Let's just let's just move a, move on with the with this recording. Okay, because it felt like you were about to say something about hairlines, <laughs> and something about how I might be able to understand or relate it's somehow. So, it's so interesting that as fashion in fashion, as the necklines have dropped. <laughs> you're... Well, well, just as uh, if, if some women may may choose to, to show more cleavage to be more attractive, I've chosen to do the same with scalp, with dry, flaky scalp. The uh, the neckline. The... Borat's swimsuit is to necklines. <laughs> what my widow's peak is to my head. <laughs> <laughs> okay, since we're already on the subject of making fun of my forehead, listeners, if this is your first time hearing this, welcome first-time listeners. Uh, I was looking in the mirror the other day, um, and I have an ins I have so many lines on my forehead when I raise my eyebrows. It's literally like a dozen. I have a dozen lines. Can you see? The yeah. Yeah, that's a great many lines. All the way up there. All seven inches from my eyebrows to my hairline. So this clown looks like me. It's obviously very attractive. Evan and I both agree on that point, at least. <laughs> you know, we've come full circle. Because, as you said, It recently came out, the 2017 uh, Stephen King adaptation. Um, and there was an entire 
there's a small population of people who wanted to F this clown. Oh. Oh. Hmm. Moving on. Because <laughs> I think we can close that circle. The, the gang comes upon two people riding a tandem bicycle, and it obviously looks like members of a circus. Why would you... Okay, hold, hold the phone. You, 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 you assumer. I'm sorry. Um, uh, what do you mean, obviously, from a circus? Uh, okay. Do you want to describe these gentlemen for our listeners? I, these gentlemen are... They're freaks. They're, they're weirdos. I'd pay a hay penny a piece to take a gander at them ugly mugs. Did you say a hay penny? Yeah. Like a penny of straw? I think it means a half penny. I think it's half penny because it's half a penny. I think okay, hang on. Google. No. Come on. You're definitely wrong. Okay. Okay, 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 okay. The reason I thought it was hay penny was because they call it that in the Animaniacs movie Wacko's Wish. <laughs> And I thought that was actually what it was called. You know, I definitely thought the, that there was going to be a swerve there, and you were going to be like, okay, to be fair, the reason I thought it was pronounced hey petty is because I'm dumb. <laughs> <laughs> it's because so sorry. when I was in school learning about uh, currency, I got hit in the head, okay? In all fairness, I was dropped on my head as a baby. So, uh... Sometimes I know speak good. <laughs> this gets meaner and meaner from here. I don't. We're not even making fun of you anymore. We're just like making fun of like an unspecified person at this point. A person who just has a disability. Okay. No. 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 No, no I'm not the bad guy here. No, it's it's a a strong man and a little person. Um, specifically, we'll later find out their names are Samson the Strongman, real classic name, and Max the Midget, which is a regrettable name because that is not a PC term in this day and age. Max, here's the thing. I think that if the person says it, it's fine. Like a person of the group. I Max guess, is, yeah. Max is the one who says Max the Midget. He self identifies as it, but it's still that kind of thing where. <laughs> Almost like at, at a circus, if you were at the freak show, and it's like, they're grotesquely obese, hideous woman. And even if she calls herself that, it's kind of like, oh, this is sad that, like, the ugly woman is a spe- like a special attraction. You know what I mean? <laughs> Am I only taking myself here? Why is that the direction you went? I don't know. I was trying to think of, like, well, just because someone adopts a term doesn't mean it's, oh, like, it's a good, t- <laughs> okay term to Here's use. Here's the thing. You're just like, you you describe her as a as a fat, hideous woman. I kept feeling like and I had to go like, further, like it wasn't the, enough. You said this. If the ugly woman identifies with this. <laughs> now, now, those labels are, are disgusting to me. I think of her just as an ugly woman. <laughs> All right, so in my defense, I am very stupid. So... <laughs> I think we can all forgive and forget. Oh, full circle, full circle. Um, but it's a, it's a a strong man and a little person who are riding a tandem bicycle, and the gang seems to be driving towards them, but also kind of follows them for a while and and watches the scene unfold. 
basically this ghost clown is looking down and it would seem that this ghost clown has somehow sabotaged the tandem bicycle because like the titanic it splits down the middle and and it snaps apart and so they're each bike biking these separate portions um what i think is really interesting i and i don't know if you caught this is i think it's fred or uh, daphne who sees this taking place and says hey what's going on and Shaggy says, uh, "I think he said rad it's drag that race, crazy drag race, or something like that." But yeah, he said he calls it a drag race, basically. Because he says that, it made me think that it was a direct reference to Wacky Racers. Oh, I'm sorry. It was dig that crazy drag race. Oh, You're right. Was... Dig that crazy drag race. Oh, it's, oh, it's dig. Yeah. So it's not it's okay. So I don't know. Maybe it's not a wacky racers reference then. It might might or might not be a a wacky racers reference. This episode is kind of loose and rough around the edges enough. It's so rough around the edges that like a really willowy cloud, you could see any shape in it. Basically, um, like and yeah, go for it. Really briefly, I gotta say the mystery machine. We see the interior of it, and I've forgotten that in the early episodes we don't like the mystery machine has a cab in the front. The back is completely separate a lot of the times, and this is one of those episodes where. It's not anyone leaning over the front seat. All five of the gang members are in the front seat, and it's like the front yeah. of a cab where it's yeah, blocked it's, off. Uh, it's, it seems pretty pretty snug. Um, to sort of because we're really taking our time with this episode. We, oh man, we've got a lot to um, get through. Essentially, what happens is that uh, there there is a crash of sorts, but the two individuals, Max and Samson, are not hurt. Uh, Max does go flying, however, um, and. Who is it that I think it's Fred who says, "Where's the little man?" He, which is he does, and this is before Max is self-identified. And maybe that's a little bit of the feeling that I walked away with because it's like there's only two of them. Just say, "Where's your friend?" Yeah, where's the other guy? He doesn't have to yeah. specify little man. Hang on, it's unnecessary. Has, in fact, he hasn't specified his gender yet. Not even where's the other guy? Where is the your friend? Yeah, where's the where's the other person who is biking with you? Like the size is. Anyway, it just seems unnecessary. Um, <laughs> it is. He, um, but he's stuck in a tree. He's holding onto a limb, and he's about to fall. And, and Scooby runs out and catches him on his back. And sort of like uh, Max rides him back to where everyone else is. And the note that I took down here is how note here, I think. incredibly patronizing everyone is to Scooby. Everyone is so grateful. Wow, Scooby. Great job, Scooby. Atta boy, Scoob. Thanks, bud. I you put patronizing my my reaction was that man this was back when the gang appreciated Scooby this is like early in the relationship before they take him for granted I actually thought they were being dicks but I <laughs> I, I think your interpretation is the more valid one I that's what I think because I think later on we could see this happen ten times in the next season I don't think he's lucky if he gets a single thanks Scoob let alone attaboy, boy Scooby uh, basically Max and Samson explained that. Um, there's a ghost clown haunting the circus. They're, so they're getting out of town, out of Dodge, I think it is, because, like, it's th- yeah. he's jinxing everything. And, and here's the thing. That's why it made me think that the ghost was like a gremlin. And we've talked about gremlins on this podcast before, but that he basically exists just to sabotage things. He'll make, in, in a circus, like previously we'd seen a gremlin in an airport which is a very bad place to for things to go haywire, a circus is also a bad place for sabotage to happen. So, yeah, that's a very logical thing. I hadn't even thought that far ahead until we saw that it's a hypnotist clown. 
So, um, the gang go over to the clown, they talk to the ringmaster, his name is Mr. Barnstorm. Mr. Barnstorm explains that there's a ghost clown that has been haunting the circus, um, it, and it's, it's interesting because he says, when it appears oh. in a circus... <laughs> do you have the exact quote? Uh, I, I do not. M- may I? Yeah, please. He, he says it so matter-of-factly, as if he's talking to someone who this happens to routinely... Well, when the ghost pe- ca- when the ghost clown appears in your circus, you might as well quit. <laughs> and is, this is like this is like a circus adage. <laughs> yeah, like, like he's giving them life advice, like a grandfather with a child on his knee. Now remember, son, when the ghost clown appears in your circus, you might as well quit. As a friend of mine likes to say, and I don't know if he's still listening to this podcast, especially mm-hmm. now that he is um, doing basic training. Uh, it ain't. Getting a stuck pig out of a slop hole. Jeez, man, that's just such a that's such a disgusting phrase. <laughs> getting a getting a what pig out of a slop hole again? It ain't getting a stuck pig out of a, a slop stuck hole. Stuck pig out of a slop hole. I t- I, I think need to, we're already way over time, but like I need to way, break that down. What is that even? The way he reasoned it out is, it's not it's not a difficult task. That's what it boils down to. Because it's, st- it's a stuck pig, it's fat, and it's hard to move, and it's stuck on top of that, and it's in a slop hole, which it's happy with. And so if it was that, it would be a hard task, but it's not. Yes. It would be like, um, hey, Luke, how about we record ten minutes of extraneous bits and content uh, on this podcast episode? And oh, that's not getting the be... stuck pig out of a slop hole. We can do that easy. Yeah. We've just done it twice in a row. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, Mr. Barnstorm says, like you said, very matter-of-factly that, like, this is what ghost clowns do. He, now that Samson and Max are gone, um, he doesn't think the circus will open this year. Because two of his attractions have left. Uh, and circus folk are superstitious. As a result, uh, a lot of his crew just, like, refuse to put on a show. Blah, blah, blah. Um, what is interesting here... And what is bonkers here? What is way off model for this is, the character at hand? One thing that you brought up prior to us recording is, what is it like coming to Scooby-Doo Where Are You, the first iteration of Scooby-Doo, uh, only 10 episodes in, they're still getting a sense for what this is product is supposed to be. What the series is, yeah, this is 10 episodes in. For me, Watching this episode, it was like a parade of everything that we say is not Scooby-Doo canon or or classic Scooby-Doo happening in a classic Scooby-Doo episode. These things that we lambast other series like Scooby-Doo Get a Clue for doing are happening here. It's really surprising for me. So what has become tradition in Scooby-Doo media is that when there's a lot of exposition happening, when the gang is interviewing, interrogating someone... During that time, that's when Scooby and sometimes Shaggy will engage in visual gags, which help... I was just going to say, in my mind, I'm going to call this local exposition, or where the locals give exposition. Yes, perfect. Because that happens in almost every episode. And like you said, every time that happens, we need the funny characters to be doing something funny while the boring characters stand in front of the exposition and let speech hit them. But in this case, Scooby doesn't do something funny. He doesn't like bounce around on top of a comically large beach ball or like juggle yeah he'd have oh that's exactly what he would do no what scooby does instead is you kind of see the silhouette or you kind of see the clown off in the distance like right off screen and scooby Mm. goes in that direction 
it's not even like the shadow looks like something else or something fun or interesting. It's not even like Scooby thinks it could be something fun or interesting. He like gingerly and concernedly walks over as if he's wary of whatever he's walking. It's the least Scooby-Doo-ish action imaginable. It's so weird. And then something else happens that is really strange is that after talking to Mr. Barnstorm, the gang get into the mystery machine and just drive off. Yeah, they do. And they only realize it's uh, it's uh, like a Home Alone or road trip moment as they're already on the road. And they're like, wait, where's Scooby? And you'd think you would not miss a Great Dane, especially when he sits in the front seat of the car with you. Yeah. And it's like, look, this isn't like this isn't like when Jesus's family went into Jerusalem for like the religious ceremony and then like days I think it was days later they were like, Oh, where's Jesus? And he they had yeah. left. Although him there. to be fair, um be- the circus is Jerusalem for dogs. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, but <laughs> every So you're saying that they yeah. they come back and um Scooby is speaking with with the elders. Scooby is he's uh he's taming the lion tamers. He's um he's walking on the tightrope walkers. Oh, okay, we're gonna move on. Um, what happens to Scooby and what you might have guessed given the synopsis of this episode is that Scooby is being hypnotized by the ghost clown, um, which is also to say that the ghost clown is a ghost that speaks. Yeah, and it sounds like a voice acting talent. Like, they didn't just get some random dude to do it. He's really... What's chewing the scenery with voice acting? I think it's still... Oh. It's even more chewing. (laughs) Is it swallowing the scenery? I don't... Yeah, it is. Because it's deeper in the throat. Or all in the mouth. That's a... Yeah, that's a... Whatever it is, that's what he's doing. Chewing the script, I guess. Um, I can't. I can't do the voice because my voice isn't too hot. It's today. something like this. Is it? Watch the pretty coin of gold, and you will we'll do, do what, what you, you are, are told. told. You are brave, and that's a fact. You will do the high wire act. Um, and that's what he hypnotizes Scooby Doo into doing. And this is, I will say up front, I like this sort of general sort of thing where. What the villain is doing is hypnotizing people into dangerous situations that will potentially kill them. Yeah, and then we do see we see other characters in this. We start out with Scooby Doo. I really like it because it's about Scooby's character. It's about his cowardice and him going counter to that. Didn't make sense that his cowardice somehow walked him into this scenario, but I like that we then see Scooby Doo doing something really brave and out of character for him. And I really love that we don't see the whole gang come upon Scooby. It's just Velma and Shaggy who do. Um, Fred and Daphne are split up going somewhere else, and so we have a little microcosm of the gang for this it's, scene. It's nice. They're kind of playing with the with the various character dynamics, which I do think is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they come across Scoob, and he's on the tightrope, and he's walking back and forth successfully, because that's how hypnotism works, uh, just in media. Is it makes you capable of doing... Yeah, like he can do feats he would never otherwise be able to do. Sidebar. There's a really frustrating Archie comics episode or story in which Dilton learns hypnotism because he's Dilton Doyle no he can do whatever he wants Reggie I think Reggie learns hypnotism Reggie's more the type to do it and uh what he he hypnotizes um Jughead into believing that he's a he can only eat like a bird and then he's like okay Jughead if you eat like 50 burgers I'll buy them all for you and Jughead like demolishes them and Reggie is shocked because he had hypnotized Jughead to eat like a bird. 
And then Dilton mm. comes up and he's all like, oh, ho, ho, Reggie, what you don't know is birds actually have like very high metabolisms and eat like many times their body weight or something like that. And it's like, that's not how hypnotism works. Hypnotism doesn't give you, like, deep knowledge of, like, the world. <laughs> yeah, like, Jughead knows. It implies for me that Jughead already knew that, or that it gives him knowledge of the world. I thought what you were going to say is that <laughs> Dilton was going to walk over, and then Jughead was going to mama bird all the burgers <laughs> right into <laughs> right into him. <laughs> He was able to eat them all uh, so fast because he was only holding them for but a moment. Good, clean, Archie fun. That's what you're describing. Um, um, but it doesn't give them, like, it doesn't make sense that it would actually give these characters powers they wouldn't otherwise have, but that's how it works in this universe. Archie, we know, plays fast and loose with virtually all rules. They also go a step further in that as Scooby is walking back and forth across the tightrope, the clown is... I guess not in like not visible to um to Velma and Shaggy. The clown is sort of like walking with his fingers. Yeah, listeners can't see, but Evan's doing the finger walking thing, where you have your fingers as the legs of a dude, and that's what the clown's doing. But Scooby and almost it looks like he's controlling Scooby. Scooby can't see him because he's on the ground. Yeah, it's way away. But when the clown like makes a circle motion with his hand, Scooby does a full front flip and l- catches himself on the st- standing on the wire. It's going to be difficult. He does it multiple times. It's a very... A lot of the action sequences that come up are very involved. And I don't want to spend too much time on them because I don't think it's necessary to get what's happening in the episode. Really, I think Scooby's, um, like, going against his character scene is the best. So we we'll, we can talk this and then skip the other folks. Like, basically, um, he comes out of the trance. Uh, he is panicked because, of course... Um, I think it's really funny because Velma climbs up to the top of where the trampoline is and she sees that Scooby's in trouble. So what she does is she throws an umbrella at him. <laughs> and she throws it the way all umbrellas are thrown in Scooby-Doo cartoons, like a javelin. Like a javelin. <laughs> yes. With the interest of skewering him like a butterfly. <laughs> and like all javelins are received in Scooby-Doo, it comes to him handle first. <laughs> Exactly like the wand of Zadgraz. No, not the wand of Zadgraz. It was the Wizard of Wimbledon's staff. Excuse me. I think he... Was he not Zadgraz? I think he was Zadgraz. No, the wand of Zadgraz... Oh, was, was 13 Ghosts. 13 Ghosts. You're correct. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. it's... it's One of the things about um, cartoons is obviously they play fast and loose with physics. And this... But yeah. Scooby mm-hmm. is... This seems to be... Oh... This basically takes those physic, physics-bending hijinks and uh, makes them an accepted reality within the show. Hmm. Uh, go further with that. It, it, which is to say that Scooby is falling from a great height holding this umbrella, and Shaggy says, Scooby, pop the chute, because the umbrella will... He hasn't, he hasn't opened it just yet, and the greater surface area will slow Scooby's fall, Mary Poppins style. Uh, and I'm just gonna again fast forward through this. Scooby ends up uh, the chute ends up uh, folding upwards. Scooby falls into what looks like a small clown house. He then is raised up because there are all these balloons. He's like the Peach and James and the Giant Peach. Um, the clown won't have that. The clown starts throwing darts at him, um, popping the balloons one at a time. I think just the purple balloons um, because they only animated one color popping. Scooby says, 
and here, let's hash this out right now. This is 10 episodes in to Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? They have not nailed down a number of aspects of Scooby-Doo, the show and the character. Yeah. And well, if I can go back to my just my headline notes for the episode, we learned some amazing things this episode about some characters. We will learn that Daphne can't ride a bike, that Shaggy is not even a track star but a track man, and we learned that Scooby maybe can't actually talk. Maybe he's just a dog. Luke and I, Luke and I have had we've had like tirades about um, what is good and what is bad Scooby Doo speech. And how to do Scooby and, speech consistently and yet understandably. In in our episode about the Scooby-Doo team-up, um, the comic book, we chastised the writer for very lazily writing Scooby's speech because they just put R's in front of all of the words up again with consonants. And Scooby's speech is not quite that simple. Granted, when you're seeing it written down, it's it will always look a little bit weird because um, it has to be legible and phonetically, it has to sound right. Although that was a, still not a great example of it. It's amazing to me that in this original 10th episode, Don Messick, the original voice of Scooby-Doo and the voice of Scooby-Doo for many episodes to come, does not sound like Scooby-Doo at all, nor consistent. Uh, Scooby says, uh, as he's being uh, lifted aloft, as he's being lifted by the balloons, he says, Ralph, I'm rolling rope! And it's just like... And then Shaggy, like you said, Shaggy is the uh, the C-3PO to Scooby's R2-D2. Yeah, uh, but yeah, Scooby, Shaggy has to translate for Scooby as if they assume that we won't understand what Scooby's saying. And it, it seems like it almost might be part of the joke, but not clearly. Scooby falls uh, because the darts are p- popping the balloons. Because he's shooting at him, or as Scooby would say, Run, Remy! Run, Remy! He, he's shooting at him. Hey, guys. He's getting shot at. That's what he's saying. Shaggy and Velma are holding like a little, like what firemen back in the day would hold to catch people falling out of burning windows. I guess, it's, yeah. One of those super tiny trampolines. It's so small. And Scooby just like breaks through it. Oh, yeah. And they're like, we saved you, Scooby. Rah, breaks a rock. Yeah, not, you You did Scooby's voice way better there than it's actually yeah, I, done. I, I, will, I was just about were, to say that. I was just like, You were doing it a justice that much. was not done in the episode. It's ranks a rot. It sounded like a New Jersey construction working mobster, legitimately. <laughs> ranks a rot. It's just weird that, and it's also kind of odd to see Scooby both like out of it and angry. Um, we cut from there to Fred and Daphne, who are got who have got their own hijinks going on, and I'm sure we can bust through this pretty quick. Fred, Fred is in a tent with all the costumes in it. Fred says, "I'd better check this giant steamer trunk." So, of course, he gets pushed in. And locked in. Velma is hypnotized by a hand that pokes through the remaining some of the other clothes with a gold coin again. And it hypnotizes her into doing as she is told. Which, you'd think they could have come up with a less creepy rhyme that would have worked just as well than, You will oh, do as you are told. Really? Actually, yeah, you, you really nailed it. It's uncomfortable. Because with Shaggy, or with Scooby, it's like, oh, you're going you're gonna to do the high wire act. You know, but with Velma, the, or you know, or sorry, with Daphne, the conventionally attractive young woman, it's like, you're going to do what I tell you to. And the rhyme doesn't end with him saying what he's going to tell her to do. <laughs> like, with Scooby's, the instructions were built into the rhyme. Here, we just faded to black. Thank heavens that when we see Daphne, okay, like, to be fair, she's wearing a different outfit. 
So hopefully he was instructed to go into another room and put that on, but this is, like, this clown... Let's drop it there. Let's let the police sort that out. Uh, is it, was it, is it, Je- is it Jeffrey Dahmer? Was he the clown killer? Yeah, he was. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> Are we opening it up to those jokes this episode? Uh, you know what? We missed, we missed the it train, but my friend Dahmer, I think, is still sort of hot right now. So let's, yeah. <laughs> okay. Clowns, clowns are scary. Mm. Um, um, but Daphne is wearing a tutu, like a ballerina outfit, and riding a unicycle. And that's surprising, because as I kind of indicated, Shaggy says, Daphne can't ride a bike even. <laughs> Okay, I can't. I don't know how detailed your notes are, cause so so I can't place who said what here, cause I only wrote the dialogue. Mm-hmm. But someone says we gotta wake her up. And is it okay, Scooby? Yeah. You got this says... too. Yeah, it's Scooby who says yeah 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he says it six times. Velma Velma says we gotta wake her up, and Scooby says yeah, like the Nickelodeon theme song. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's like, you are too eager, Scooby. He's so excited. To wake up Sleeping Beauty. Oh, man, alive. Um, That's, I had so few notes for this episode, but they were all the exact same ones that you apparently had. Uh, Shaggy plays, like, the reve- the reve, the reveil, the reve on, like, the trumpet. It doesn't work. Mm. They hold out a net. Uh, to catch the unicycle, and I wrote here... The stampede net. Daphne clearly never skips leg day. <laughs> and now I need to play this moment. Because um, what she does is she she drags the net behind her. She just, like, yanks them forward. No kidding. Uh, they go. She the... definitely skips waist day, though. Like, her, she's got tiniest little waist. We know that about yeah, Daphne. Yeah, a little, though. like, wasp waist. Come uh, see the remarkable, the... attractive woman. <laughs> she goes. Into, uh, she goes into the animal tent. They follow. Um... <laughs> okay. She she's already actually ridden over a wire, and here in the animal tent, she rides over some elephants, all strung together, nose to tail, like a trunk to tail, like a like an elephantine centipede. <laughs> um... <laughs> uh, can you? Mm-hmm. Because you have audio and I don't, mm-hmm. because I'm using my headphones and my mic. I wrote here that the elephant sounds like a snooty British person, and I need you to confirm that for me. So, um, our mutual friend Gordon, my brother-in-law, and I like to make these snooty British person voices sometimes to bug Ifty Sam and her parents, and it's that, oh, <laughs> oh. That's it. And that's, that's what exactly the what this like. elephant sounds like. It goes, mmm, mmm. <laughs> Oh my goodness! I'm I'm so like yeah. Once I heard it, I was like, what? Who? Who did this? <laughs> Apparently, royalty did this, man. <laughs> Someone who has never heard an elephant before. They got a duke minimum, duchess. Excuse me. Uh, so Scooby, I wrote here. Scooby speaks gibberish to an elephant. Gibberish, I think. Um, right? Is it gibberish? Gibberish, gibberish? I think it is gibberish. You're right. Um, okay. and the elephant squirts him with water, and Scooby says, "Rot me, rrr," uh, and the elephant. Splashes Daphne and she wakes up and it's fine. I, I replayed that part like five times because when you you can tell he's like rah, me rah, you're like oh that's actual words and then everything prior to that is just like rah, 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 rah. there's nothing that could possibly be language. It's like that. um shoot what's his name in Chowder, what's the name of the bear made of stone? It's a pastry. Schnitzel. No sorry Schnitzel's not a pastry it's a meat. Uh 
Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were saying it's not schnitzel. I'm like, dude, come on. Yeah, when she, like when she's like rada 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 rada, that's like Scooby talking to the elephant essentially. It, basically, the the big thing in this episode is that we realize that Don Messick did not walk into Scooby Doo with a completed formula. Although there are a lot of elements that are there, and I'll take a moment now to say that Scooby's snickering is fully formed here. You know what I mean? Where he like something funny happens. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. That's exactly it. And he does that yeah. already here, and I love that. Um, and there's some other, like, Scooby-isms that he, the sound is sort of there for, but most of the stuff he says is not clear at all. What I think is really funny is that all of this takes place while Fred is locked in the trunk. <laughs> I love that! I love that Fred has been in the trunk for ages! <laughs> like, they finally let him out, uh, after Daphne Witt comes to, Daphne says something about money, because she can't remember the coin exactly, then they come up with a very straightforward trap, which is basically that... Yeah. Um, they're gonna have the monster chase bait into uh into a literal cage in this case, and they're just gonna slam the cage shut. Um, also, do you think Fred was trapped in that box because he was just admiring the trap from the inside? This <laughs> so like, yeah, giant steamer trunk, just large enough for a fully grown adult male. This is a great trap. I, there's no uh, handles here on the inside. I can't easily open it and let myself out. Wow. This is pretty uh, sound resistant, too. Simple but elegant. Well, and yet I have enough room that I'm not going to scream for help anytime soon. More than enough air to breathe. This is going in my trap book. Trap, <laughs> trap book sounds so much like scrapbook. That's amazing. But that's, he, he had a scrapbook of his traps in uh, uh, what, uh, Mystery Incorporated. Um, what happens next is... It checks off one of our boxes that we rarely ever check off, which... It actually checks off an even smaller, rarer box for you. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this so, is a pretty great scene. I, I'm happy about this. So Scooby obviously need, should be the bait because he's an animal. <laughs> well, they say, Fred says, whoever should lead the, the monster, the ghost, the c c clown ghost. Everyone says clown ghost like that's an established thing. <laughs> It's a thing. <laughs> if, a, if a clown ghost appears at your circus, you might as well just shut it down. You might as well just quit. As if, like, that's the most common kind of ghost is a clown ghost. Clowns. Anyways, Fred says it should be the fastest of us that leads the clown ghost in. And that's got to be Scooby-Doo. He, he explains that he can't do it. He has a rained rankle. I, I have to admit, I love Scooby-Doo. Doing the... <laughs> and having his ankle limp like he's injured it. What I like, and this is what I think they've implemented in future iterations, is when Scoob does the limp ankle, and then he bats it with the other paw, and it does a full 360. <laughs> and it's loose. It's like on a, a completely loose but well-oiled hinge. I love that. That's like that's my favorite kind of uh, canine injury gag. I, I don't even know if this is like happening in Scooby-Doo, but I can imagine it perfectly. What I love is that after Scooby fakes this out, Velma is the one to say, Oh, stop it, Scooby. But <laughs> do we have any Scooby snacks or anything? We'll need to bribe you, I reckon. I said my favorite injured canine gag, like, so comfortably, <laughs> like I was Michael Vick or something. Yeah, you read that off of a scroll, man. <laughs> off of what looks like a Dalmatian spotted scroll. Um... Yeah, it, this isn't. It, this is more than a Scooby Snack situation. Uh, what we have instead is a larger reward. It is a, and I quote, 
super duper hero sandwich, which is just a gigantic Dagwood sandwich. A huge Dagwood. I here too, it feels like this is an early relationship kind of gag. Later on, the gang barely bothers to throw Scooby or Shaggy one Scooby snack between them. Here, Fred actually says, you know what, this is too big of a task for just a Scooby snack. Like, we have a Scooby snack, but we need to give him more. And so he has Daphne pull out this giant Dagwood behind her back like she's a showroom model. And the look on Shaggy's face when that sandwich comes out. I mean, I learned the meaning of thirst from looking at his face. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take a screenshot his, of it. His bright red, vivid red tongue loll out of his mouth. Yeah, yeah, it's, he, he wants it. He craves that mineral. He wants a sandwich. Um, and and I love the gag of where as soon as the incentive is big enough, he's now saying, hey, hey, you know what? No, actually, I was a track man in high school, so I should be the one to be the bait. Yeah, Scooby's saying he has four legs, but like Shaggy's like, yeah, he like ran track. He's not only the swingingest gymnast in school. Learn that episode one. He's a track man. It's, this is amazing to me that two times in the first season they cite Shaggy's athleticism. Yeah, it is really interesting. Um, Shaggy, along the way, is somehow hypnotized by... Oh, really quick. But, I mean, the conclusion of that is that Fred says, you guys can split the sandwich and both go off. And They're both, both very ate. pleased with that. I'm amazed that after they ate the sandwich, they weren't immediately remorseful, but they just went about their duties in a very dutiful manner. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it seems like a fair... It was a fair exchange. Um, it's fair trade. Shaggy's hypnotized, blah, blah, blah. Look at this coin of gold. You'll do... Like, you're brave, whatever. Um, he, You'll do things that you don't want to do for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> he becomes a lion tamer. And what I thought was really interesting, uh, but I guess makes sense if you know Swahili, is he's he's in the, the cage. He's whipping close to the lion. He's not actually whipping the lion. And he's calling the lion Simba. Which means lion in Swahili. Um, a lot of people know that today because of the Lion King, but this episode came out well before the Lion King. Decades before you, the Lion King. Now that yeah. you mention it, that is kind of interesting that they chose to say he. They chose to use Simba here. At first, I thought like, well, that's kind of the easy name, but that's not necessarily the easy name. No, honestly, at that point, Simba was not a household word or name. So people would be like, why is he calling this lion this weird name? It's amazing. You know, there was a Japanese version of uh, a very similar uh, Japanese so Ed, show. Kimba the White Lion. Well, no, it was uh, Scuba the White Scaredy Dog <laughs> and his gang of four high school students he, he ran around solving mysteries with. It came out about 50 years before Scooby-Doo and has some striking similarities. Oh, man. Um, he's a hack. What is his name? Iwamoto? Iwamoto? <laughs> I don't know. What what is kind of and I've used the word interesting a lot, um, is that the clown has sort of like an a, an addendum, I don't know. He adds on to his hypnotism, and he explains to Shaggy that when he blows this whistle, you'll be a tasty snack for a lion. Does he say that to Shaggy or does he say it to himself? I think he just says it in general. His ploy in, with each of these people is to break them out of the trance at an inopportune time, and up to this point, the gang's solution to seeing like we see scooby on the high wire he's doing well which is not something he normally he wouldn't be up there nor would he normally be doing well up there but he's doing well the gang's reaction is we need to wake him up which doesn't make sense nor did it make sense to do the same with velma but somehow here scooby is the most perceptive person because he sees with daphne by the way oh excuse me yeah with daphne um but scooby is more perceptive because he sees shaggy fending off a lion and he 
thinks, I, I don't want to wake Shaggy up right away, or he's going to be a tasty treat. Um, so he maybe overhears the clown saying this, but whatever the case, he lifts the whistle off of the clown before the clown can blow it. What I, what I am interested in is, because that statement is kind of vague, it could be that when the clown blows the whistle, Shaggy actually imagines that he is a tasty treat. He just, like, goes prone. Shaggy already knows himself to be a tasty treat in his heart, though. That's why he's scared of all predators. Um, which I think would be a little bit different. Because, like, it is... I'm really glad that you pointed that out. The, the clown's scheme is to get people to be broken out of the trance at bad times. And the gang goes about breaking their members out of the trance at bad times yeah like the gang tried to i mean granted also on the high wire like velma went up on the high wire like they were they were positioning a trampoline beneath scooby to catch him and then velma the one in a skirt goes climbs up the ladder to like go get scooby so shaggy can't even manipulate the trampoline they didn't like scooby is more competent than all the rest of the team in this he lifts the whistle off of the clown he goes over to the cage and like opens the door and tries to get shaggy's attention and the way that that scene plays out just the timing of it was outright hilarious to me literally laugh out loud funny it is kind of weird how there's so little direct interaction with the clown you're right. Like, the clown directly interacts with the gang by hypnotizing them, but outside of that, they don't interact with him almost at all. Like, the, the clown is, like, throwing darts at the balloons, but they're not even talking about the clown. They're just talking about Scooby falling and, like, ra- like floating. It's they- like he's not even there. Scooby lifts the... He steals the whistle off of the clown, but it's like he's... Again, it's like the clown's not even there. There's not even the hint that the clown could chase them, have anything like a corridor scene or a musical chase scene. So it's weird that Fred's plan is for the clown to chase them into this trap because there's no basis for that. The clown isn't chasing anyone. Yeah, no, the clown's hypnotizing people. Um... The, the scene that I, I really loved is just Scooby standing outside of the cage. He's like, Reggie! Reggie, come on! Reggie! Reggie, get out of the cage! <laughs> I don't even know what it was he said, but like he just keeps saying it. And Shaggy just keeps ignoring him. I don't know, maybe that, that just slayed me, especially. Uh, I need to see um... this again. So this is that's the last hypnotism scene of the gang. Scooby eventually blows the whistle, which is piercingly loud. Shaggy runs out. They escape. They are chased by the, the ghost clown. Funny enough, it does work. But at, And at this point, the ghost clown does the first ghostly thing it's done. Because it has not disappeared. It has not walked through walls. It has not, like, teleported. Which I, are all ghostly things. This is the first time the ghost clown has ever done something befitting of its name. It floats after them. Yeah, it floats after them and right into the trap, into the cage where it slams shut. Everyone celebrates. Yay, look, we caught the floating clown that's floating all of a sudden in the trap. But then they hear something behind them. I love this because all due respect to Mr. to Mr.'s or to Mr. Hannah and Mr. Barbera who, who directed, directed this episode. episode mm-hmm. um, they hear something off screen and the camera pans to face them. And they're just looking off to the side. <laughs> there, there's, there's some cheap shots here. They were not about to direct this clown being somewhere behind them. 
basically. <laughs> They're like, I, th- I feel like it's a budget thing. It's like, how long is this clown going to be on screen? Oh, like one second? No. No, we're not doing... We would do a clown... Like, we'd have to recycle a background for this. Also, the background recycling is off of the chain. When we see the, the pair riding the tandem bicycle in the first scene, the scenery resets so much, it's about the length of the bike itself. <laughs> this bike is running a circle the length of the bike. <laughs> So, and basically, they're just like, oh, what the heck? The clown. How is it talking to us from behind us? Which is what we as the audience have to assume. Yeah. We have him in front of us, and then they turn the cage, and the clown is gone. And then Fred says, I would bet money that we caught him. And then Shaggy, and this is, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Unprecedented? Shaggy's like, money. That's it. Shaggy has an idea. You're right. I don't, I don't know how I didn't even catch that, but that's, as you said, unprecedented. I've never seen that before in any episode I can remember. But he has the idea. Now, how money triggers it, I don't really know. The gag, that, the, the trap that they, Shaggy devises is very clever, and it works. And to put it simply, um, Shaggy and Scooby are just walking around, and the clown comes up to them and stands in front of them and tries to hypnotize them, and um, Scooby holds up a mirror. As a Shaggy, they each hold up a mirror. And the clown, because it's never seen a mirror before, continues hypnotizing. <laughs> I guess it's caught in its own gaze. And I guess because it's double hypnotized with these two mirror images of itself, it's, it's hypnotism like doubly works well on itself. The, the clown hypnotizes itself into thinking that it's a chimpanzee, which is way scarier. <laughs> which is like... So much more terrifying than what he originally was. Especially if he knows what a chimpanzee is actually like. If, like, in Archie, this confers actual knowledge of the real deal yeah. to him, and he, like, bites Scooby and Shaggy's faces off. <laughs> yeah, this... And especially because... This clown of that, is now capable this... of bending steel bars. And if it weren't bad enough, this clown was actually hypnotizing two people, so he says, you are chimpanzees. So when he does that to himself, he's now a chimpanzee with split personality yeah, disorder. this clown is legion. It's legion. He's a... <laughs> this clown is David Holler, son of Professor Xavier. Oh, man. But no, it's not scary. It's silly and fun. But I was very terrified. I don't like monkeys or apes. I find them quite frightening. Oh, man. No, they're, they're terrifying. I mean, orangutans are great. That's about it. Orangutans are great. They're bros. They're buds. They're sweethearts. Uh, so yeah, like they they have the clown or whatever. He's just like gleefully chasing behind them. Um, I think they have a banana or something. And this brings us to the point where we've caught the criminal. And I am obliged to ask you, Evan, our audience at large, do you know who it is? Here, here are the only three possible suspects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just Mr. Barnstorm. There is Samson, the, who, the strong man, who is, like, a large-built man. And there's Max... Yeah, he looks like Tom Hardy in, um... Oh, he does look like Tom Hardy Bronson. in that movie that you're thinking of. Bronson. Bron- yeah. yeah. And then there's Max the midget, who is a little person. Really, the only person it could feasibly be is Mr. Bardstorm. But it's not. It's none of these people. This is a uh, like that Pirates episode we did with the Globetrotters where the villain is someone we never met during the episode who was never even referenced. Yeah, Mr. Barnstorm says, oh, I know that man. He's Harry the Hypnotist. Uh, he used to have an act with, this, with our circus, but he was caught stealing, so we fired him. What did he steal? One gold coin. <laughs> 
Who would have known that this ghost clown, which hypnotized people with a gold coin, would turn out to be Harry the Hypnotist, who left the day that the ghost clown appeared? <laughs> also, like, is it not well known to anyone, like, to anyone that this clown is hypnotizing people? Because like the... as soon as that comes out, you know it's I him. Know, right? You know it's Harry. I mean, the first thing he should be hypnotizing people is don't tell anyone you were hypnotized, even after it breaks. Um... But yeah, you think that wouldn't last a moment. And there's nothing about the ghost clown that looks ghosty. As you said, he doesn't do anything ghosty. Nothing in his appearance is ghosty. The ghost at the beginning of the Scooby-Doo feature film, live action that came out, uh, Monster Island, had a ghost clown. A veritable ghost clown. Ghostly white, floated all around, flew all the time, all that stuff. Yeah, and it turns out that like the floating that this clown did, all he did was like create a facsimile of himself... And put a little, like, gas cartridge on the back. It was a clown blow-up doll yeah. that he had a gas cartridge attached to, so we floated that in. And then, when the gas cartridge sucked all of the air out all at once, um, that's why it fell from view in the cage. But the gang also didn't look down <laughs> and see a, a ghost clown puddle. Also, if you go back and rewatch the scene where they're ostensibly being chased by the ghost clown... It literally does look like a Macy's Day parade float. <laughs> no, it's floating with, like, the arms and legs slightly, like, down. <laughs> and everything only slightly. Like, if it were upside down on its back, it would be a dead bug. Like, the gang fully should have realized what was going on. Uh, Fred was too happy with his trap, I guess. So, yeah, whatever. They catch the ghost. Afterwards, fun Scooby gag. They're watching the circus. Um, Samson is going to lift a heavy weight, Velma says. And he if he can lift that, he is Samson. Which, look, he's Samson whether or not he lifts it. That's his name. Yeah. C- come on, Velma. Or does she mean he is the original Samson? I, I like, there's, there's, uh, <laughs> there's Max. And, um, you know, there's like a very short door. If he can walk under, if he can walk through that door, his he is he's Max. Max. <laughs> oh, bro. No, Velma. He's still Max. He's gonna be Max either way, Velma. The the gag that we end on is that Samson, the uh, strong man, is lifting this. He's doing a deadlift, basically, right? Yeah. He deadlifts and then presses up all the way to the top a uh, bar with two balls on the ends. Back when that's how it was, and Scooby and Shaggy pop out of those balls. Kind of implying that they weigh the exact same. And then everybody cheers, and that's it. That's the end of the episode. It's weird because we've said this before when watching um, Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? That when the theme music starts, it's like a, I think you've said it, called it like a nostalgia bomb. It's it's a nostalgia bomb, just like a rush of nostalgia every time. As soon as the tape deck rewinding screech noises hit, Scooby-Dooby-Doo. Where yeah, you're you? instantly so teleported to like yeah. you're watching it. You're like, this is Scooby Doo. Like, this is the real deal. I'm sitting on my knees on the carpet, nose three inches from my parents' like TV screen, <laughs> right near my parents' you're, TV I'm screen. Sorry. <laughs> I was... You know, I see how it sounded like that. <laughs> I see how you could hear certain things. <laughs> Okay, your parents don't listen to this podcast, right? 
I they, my dad has referenced it before. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh boy. <laughs> may or may not make the final um, cut there. Yeah. But as we were saying, as from the first notes of the theme song, we're transported back to the first time we watched this series. And and so it is a little bit odd that you watch it and so much doesn't match up with what you would expect because what's satisfying about scooby-doo is solving the mystery so when it is the sort of thing where it's like oh he's some look it's a guy it's it's not satisfying there's no mystery at all the one thing we know is that it's a hypnotist um it's not even like we're assuming in this episode that the viewers don't know what hypnotism is they never explain what hypnotism is so we surely are expected to understand it from the first time we see it so there's literally no mystery whatsoever here that can be... It's not a mystery if it can't be solved. Not a real mystery anyway. It is, and it is disappointing because, as I mentioned earlier on in the episode, I think it's a great premise. It is. I, I completely agree. The gang members being hypnotized one by one, I think, is brilliant. I think it could have been more about their specific fears, one member to the next, but here we're just establishing the gags of the show. I love that they're... I mean, it's an interesting premise, and this is an interesting setting. They're exploring it in a fun way. The sound is everywhere all over the place, but I guess that's what we're in for for early Scooby-Doo. I also really like the idea that, because you've talked a lot lot about how, like, Scooby-Doo is a show for, like, skeptics or for realists or for people who don't ultimately, like, want to um, uh, bust the myth of the supernatural um mm. i can't think of the right uh vocab words um but in this case i really like that it's like here is something that is ostensibly supernatural but we have a reason for it in the soft science or whatever of like hypnotism psychology mm. because they talk about um the lions mr barnstorm says the lions have become like frady cats and I think that hints at the idea that the ghost clown hypnotized the lions. You're completely right. That's brilliant, and I can't believe I missed that part. Uh, but yeah, he does say that early on, and it's some great foreshadowing for what's to come because the immediately following scene is Scooby-Doo, ostensibly the world's biggest chicken or frady cat, becomes very brave and emboldened to do the high wire act. So yeah, there's, there's a lot to be said for an episode that... Um, that un- unveils that, and and you know what I do, I will say it's tough because I I like. I like that idea. I think what it would have to do is you would have to introduce a number of red herrings or whatever, and then they find a book on hypnotism or something like that in one of their like dressing rooms, and that's how it comes out. Instead of Mister Barnstorm just being like, "Oh, I know a hypnotist." <laughs> yeah, it really is the crappiest thing ever. I mean, can you imagine if the new like Murder on a Train movie? Um, Murder on the Orient Express movie. It was none of the characters. It's just like, <laughs> oh, hey, I know that guy. We went to school together. He has a grudge against me. He, he always swore he'd get revenge. Hey, you never, you never told us that. I didn't think it was germane to this. I didn't know he was on the train. It'd be kind of weak. So it's, it is odd seeing those elements absent or done, I think, wrong here. But I guess it's a good reminder that a lot of what's canon and a lot of what's standard fare for Scooby-Doo was added piecemeal, bit by bit, as the show went on, bit just over time. 
probably some of our favorite stuff really became canonized, not even in Where Are You, Scooby-Doo. Yeah, but but later. And yeah, I, yeah. I, think, I think the real takeaway is that um, if you're going to break new ground, and, and again, Scooby-Doo was not the only show of its kind. There were a lot of copycats, and there mm-hmm. were sort of like, it sort of like took after other shows. Yeah, it wasn't breaking into t- completely untouched territory. But if but when you're breaking new ground, when you're sort of like becoming iconic, that rarely all comes together at once. Like when you think of The Office and sort of like what is classic Office, what is The Office comedically, you don't watch the first season and come away being like, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I mean, let alone the first series, the British version. Um, I mean, I'm an American. That's my opinion. I do think the American version is more polished, but the early seasons, not the late ones. The late ones might actually be worse than the Office. Oh, and the British version is just very different. But you watch season two of The Office, to your point, to see them hit their stride and recognize what they had. And that's, I mean, that's just how that's just how it is. And that's something that you and I will, I mean, we're realizing. I think right now, because when we watched the first scoop, yeah. when we watched the first episode, "What a Night for a Night," it felt really like this is scooby-doo like this is what it's supposed to be to such a degree that it makes me feel like these episodes were aired out of order like episode one was produced later than episode 10 because episode one had a real mystery in there not necessarily like coherent um or it didn't make complete sense but it implied who the villain is it had the eyes moving behind the mask who turned out not even to be a villain, right? it had a subversion of a trope. Yeah, uh-huh. Um, which m- means it must have been a, an existing trope from something else beforehand. It's, it's just fascinating. I, I love this episode and this series no less for the fact that it's not what I expected it to be. I expected it to be what it wasn't, and that's that's on me. Is, is there any... any other parting thoughts? I think, I think that that is worth sort of like um, putting out there. Last thoughts, uh, Shaggy's beard, rather than just being a couple of lines, they also hadn't quite distinct, distinguished what they wanted to be here, such that sometimes it's some lines that poke out of his chin that also have, like, flesh tone coloring within them. You oh, know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he's got a, an extra chin poking out that then has hairs poking out of it. They just don't have rules for how to animate everyone and how exactly they want everyone to look just yet and it's kind of endearing and it's kind of exciting in a way so yeah this is us coming back to uh scooby-doo where are you after some time and it was good i don't know i don't know how to end this episode it was good it was fun uh let me end by saying this um stick around for the outro this time we're not only going to tell you where you can follow up with us but we've got some exciting news uh that we'd love to share with you that i am just thrilled to get to talk about So I'd really encourage you to say for at least the first couple minutes of the outro. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. It's It's true. true. That is a song from uh, Back to Bedlam, because that's where we return to. (laughs) Back to Bedlam is a, a, a very popular album by, I believe, British... Uh, pop musician James Blunt. It, it, I didn't know the name of that album, but that is that the name of it? Back to Bedlam. It actually is. Now, did you? That's how I would have started this you, episode. Much worse. Much worse indeed. You are quite right, my friend. Did you punch Bedlam into Google and just see what spat back out? No, I own that album. You own that album. Wow. Yeah. Good on you, man. 
I, I guess good on you. Oh, <laughs> uh, why? I think Wiseman is the name. I feel like James Blunt gets a lot of flack because that's the song that everyone knows him by. Mm. But the rest of that album's like pretty decent. Yeah, it, it feels like not the best song for people to remember him by. And I don't know much about James Blunt. I just know I'm not crazy about that song. But I am. I'm wild over that as an intro for this episode. In fact, I'd like to go back and let you start this episode out. I no, we're not gonna do. We're not gonna do that. <laughs> I, I guess I just like you telling me I'm beautiful, and that, and then telling me that you weren't lying when you told me I was beautiful. Yeah, I I almost wanted to issue a disclaimer before I started singing. <laughs> yeah, I'm honestly surprised that you didn't. Um, that was the whole episode. Thank you everyone for joining us. Um, we're going to tell you all about the places you can follow up with us, about uh, you know further media to catch up on the Scooby Dudes. But before I do, I made a promise, or before we do, I made a promise uh, before the episode ended that we had something special to talk about in the outro. Yeah, it, it's always special to, to Luke and I whenever anybody uh, corresponds with us. It, it's great. We find that very valuable. We like to get feedback from our listeners. Mm-hmm. In this case, we actually got some feedback from jcb himself john coltonberry uh creator showrunner creative mind behind uh really the one person (laughs) who created completely on his own be cool scooby-doo our favorite series he animated he storyboarded he did all of the voice acting (laughs) um yeah he actually left us a comment on episode 28 the episode before this one game of chicken which was on Mm -hmm. be cool scooby-doo which again he worked on um and contrary to what Luke just laid down, as if it were the absolute <laughs> truth, um, John, if I can refer to him by solely his first name, you know what? No, it feels wrong. John Colton Berry yeah. um, said that Zach Moncrief is actually... Sorry, am I saying that right? I think it's Zach Moncrief. You know what? It's so sad that that's the... The best we... Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> what were you going to say? What's so sad about that? Like, that's the best we can do in terms of butchering his name. Like, Well, here, let me look at Wikipedia because it's got Zachary Thomas Moncrief, and then in parentheses where it tells you how to pronounce the name, it says, born January 8th, 1971. <laughs> so apparently that's how it's pronounced. <laughs> um, Zach Moncrief is apparently the real showrunner, producer... And the man at the top of the food chain on Be Cool Scooby-Doo, Zach hired John Colton Berry to create the tone, revamp the characters, write everything. Mm-hmm. They created it together. Well, yeah, they created it together. So it's not just, it's not really a one-man show. It's, it was a collaboration. But, but technically, it, Zach was the, the showrunner himself. And JCB, merely a hired gun. A mercenary, if you will. If you think about the it. The merc with a mouth. Be Cool Scooby-Doo is actually nothing like this podcast, Scooby-Dudes. Because Be Cool Scooby-Doo, 100% a collaborative effort. And in this case, (laughs) uh, really one of us does all of the work. Mm -hmm. And the other is just tags along. Yeah. More of a vanity project for them. They 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 slap their name on it. Yeah, tags is a good word. Like a skin tag. Like Like just an ancillary, like a mole. Or I don't, I don't know a tumor or anything. I don't know. Let's not beat you up too much, Evan. Let's. Well, that I mean, that's pretty much it. I I do want to issue an apology to Zach for not giving him the credit that was due him, because we we both love the show so much, and we just want to say, mm-hmm. we just want to I guess issue our appreciation to him in particular because so much of our praise has been lauded solely on 
uh, Jonathan Colton Berry. On J- at JC, we've laid a lot of praise at JCB's feet. Well earned and well deserved. But Zach Moncrief, I want to say thank you for giving me my favorite Scooby-Doo series in recent history. And that's no small thing. We go through a lot of Scooby-Doo. And I really love that series. I love the work that Zach's done on it. I have to admit, I don't know enough about the production side of things to know exactly which responsibilities were his. But I'd love to get a look at his resume, see his favorite, his best accomplishments, look at his skills, see what he could be doing in the future. Yeah. If you could find either you or myself on LinkedIn, that would be great. If we could just connect that way and network professionally. I would love a recommendation. If you, <laughs> Zach Moncrief, if you, if you could verify my bloviating skill, I really want that to... I want people to know that's legit. Bloviate. Bloviate. <laughs> Is that not... Am I using that word wrong? I have no idea. <laughs> that's a word. Do you not know that? Is this, a, this is like one of the first times I know a word that you don't know. No, I, I, know it's, I know it's a word. I know it's a word. I just don't know what the definition is. I think it just means to, like, to go on in a really big, self-important way, potentially without knowing what you're talking about. Talk at length, especially in an inflated or empty way. Yeah, that does sound like you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was expecting some level of vindication at the end of that. Oh, congratulations, Luke. <laughs> oh, you're right, Luke. You were completely right. You are a bloviating sack this of hot air. It's just like that Bible verse where it's like, what, uh, what man, when his son asks him for a fish, gives him a snake, or asks him for a loaf of bread, gives him a scorpion. This is you. You're a little boy. You have your hands out like, Daddy... I want some food, and I've put a wild animal in your hands. And, but the thing is here, I did ask for a snake, and then you gave me one. <laughs> daddy, daddy, give me a scorpion. Oh, my God. You know, Evan, the more I think about it, despite what we were saying earlier, you know, you might be the central part of this show, and I might be the tag. Wait, was that ever in question? I don't understand. What? What? <laughs> Uh, I, th- I think we're we're done here. Thank you, thank you, Zach. Uh, thank you, uh, JCB, both for giving us an amazing series, and thanks JCB for interacting with us. It genuinely feels so special that um, one of the creative minds behind Be Cool Scooby Doo knows who we are and has listened to parts of our podcast. That feels unbelievable to me. Yeah, J- JCB signed his note XO. Uh, and you and I, we have to, we'll have to have a separate conversation about who gets the X, X and, and who, who gets, gets the, the O. o. Yeah. We are which not... is it? Which is which? Okay. Is it, is it gonna... X? Okay, hang on, really quick though. Is, it, is X hug O kiss? The X is the kiss and the O is the hug. Okay. But I will say, no, you know what? We're just... <laughs> no, no, no. We're skipping over that, man. We're not... We're not even going to say what we're skipping discussing over. Discussing this anymore. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Dudes. If you think we're exy and you want our bodies, <laughs> come on, man. Oh, won't you hit us up on, what did you say already? Did you say Facebook? <laughs> Is that the one? That's the only one you already I said. said. Facebook uh, already. <laughs> shoot. Hit us up on Twitter. We are the Scooby Dudes, at the Scooby Dudes on Twitter. Oh, this is a long outro. Okay. Um, I love it. You can send us an email, scoobydudespodcast at gmail.com. Or you can email email us via our website, which is scoobydudes.com. I would really reiterate that and ask everyone to visit us at scoobydudes.com. We have original art for every episode, and I believe for this episode it's going to be extra special because Evan is doing the art himself. Evan also does, uh, I'm just going to keep blowing up your spot here, he also does show notes and corrections for every episode. If you like the trivia side of things, if you like the how did this get made and what's ancillary and connected to this side of things, Evan does a lot of that exploration for you. 
and you can again see it at scoobydudes.com. Where was that again? Scoobydudes.com. Uh, and one last thing, and look, this weekend I am going to put together some Patreon goodies that will happen. Um, Patreon, you can donate to us. You can give us a little bit of money every month. Uh, depending on how much that is, you may be able to listen to the episode a day early. Uh, you will get some art. You'll get a lot of what I'm planning on scheduling. A lot of blurbs, a lot of thoughts from me, one of the Scooby Dudes. Yeah, and, and you know, but perhaps the, the most important and special things you'll get, beyond the knowledge that you're helping support a podcast and content that you love, is that you'll get a shout-out on the air. We will shout out your name, just as we shout out everyone when they first donate and every week after that, from here to the end of time. So, here that is. Um, we're just going to say your names right now. Thank you to those people. Straight up, thank you so much to all of you for listening. We appreciate every single listen. Uh, t- you know, tell your friends, tell your family. Uh, tell Tell the internet, or really, you know, like, Apple products type people by leaving us a five-star review on itunes those analytics uh really help us reach a wider market and so even if you just rate us five stars even if you don't say anything that's appreciated but you should say something because whatever you say evan will read on the air on the podcast and and yeah i think that's it i think that's our entire 13 minutes something something seconds outro that that's really everything um i as my one last um request to all of our listeners please hit up jcb uh john colton barry and zach thomas moncrief and tell them how much you appreciate all their work because they've done incredible work at be cool scooby-doo and if you don't know that then go watch be cool scooby-doo and get up to speed i guess as a parting message i what i like to say or what i try to say every episode and i often forget i really love all of our listeners man you you haven't said that in a while i hope our listeners haven't felt unloved um, recently, I hope you still feel appreciated. I also love our listeners. I will give them all of my exes, but I'm always gonna save my O for Evan because I love you, Evan. You're my best friend, and I know that I mean something to you too. I sure do love our listeners, and also. You love... Why? You do not need to make that arm motion. <laughs> you know what? F*** this. Okay, you know you can't keep... I'm gonna go eat bed lamb in my big top. <laughs> I don't need this. Mm-hmm.